Overnight Scape Central Time. And, yeah, we lost uh, a great comedian. Uh, although, I guess, uh, like many in today's uh, world of comedy, he was a polarizing influence. And a lot of people, uh, just the sound of his voice was enough to make him completely unpalatable and unacceptable, much less that he was willing to go all the way out there for the sake of making people laugh, for the sake of a joke, for the sake of provocation, if you will. Uh, yeah, he would out Howard Stern, Howard Stern. And that is probably where I first gained an appreciation for the recently late Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, and he really carried the torch for transgressive comedy. And out of all the people who did that sort of thing for years, I mean, he worked for Disney. He really walked that fine line and got fired a lot, of course. But, oh man, he just did so many amazing bits and appearances and probably uh, his appearances on the Howard Stern show, which he was later like banned from. I'm wondering if Stern is now uh, being a little revisionist now that Gilbert is gone and therefore no longer a direct danger or something. Uh, and all of those podcasts, the Amazing Colossal podcast, where Gilbert would uh, get old TV stars and comedians, and it was an amazing collection of anecdotes and stories of show business and comedy history. Delicious stuff. Uh, it, that might be his biggest legacy years and years from now. Uh, a lot of people who hadn't spoken about any of this sort of stuff, sat down with Gilbert and uh, his co-host, uh, whose name I can't even remember, who later made the show almost unlistenable when he tried to just take it over altogether. Uh, but all that aside, uh, the memory of Gilbert Gottfried is what this show is about, and it's just, as far as I can tell, Frank Edward Nora and myself remembering, and uh, I'm hoping uh, uh, Frank is going to have some great samples and some good stories and anecdotes, uh, but we will see. Uh, I am certain it will be a suitable tribute, and uh, I will interject as needed, and uh, you got yourself another amazing Overnightscape Central right here on the Overnightscape Underground, or wherever you may have found this at whatever time you may be in. I mean, I'm living in 2022, but uh, who knows where you are? Oh, there you are. Anyways, let's get the ball rolling uh, with Frank. Back around from 86 to 89, I was involved in uh, in a humor radio show, humorous radio show and magazine known as Anything But Monday. And we did what we were calling offensive humor, but you certainly could also call transgressive humor, right? Um, trying to push the boundaries. And there's been many comedians who have done that. Um, I remember, for example, going over to someone's house, and I don't really remember the circumstances, but it was a friend of a friend. We went over to their house, and they had this videotape, and they were all treating it kind of like, 
like, okay, we have the tape, and they were looking around. They didn't make, make sure their parents weren't around or anything. And we were in a basement or something, and they put on this tape, which was Andrew Dice Clay, right? And uh, it must have been from one of an HBO special or something. And it was it was his routine at the time, which was really pushing the boundaries and pushing the envelope um, to the point that I remember when he was going to be on Saturday Night Live. Uh, remember, uh, what's her name? Sinead O'Connor, the singer. She refused to appear on the same episode with Andrew Dice Clay. And he's like, oh, she decided not to come on the show. Too bad. She was a cute, bald chick. You know, that was like sort of his, his, uh, <clears throat> you know, reaction to it, which is a little transgressive, you know. Um, but, you know, I remember one of one of the jokes he said, and this is all, of course, in the context that this stuff was problematic back in the 80s. And today it's it, it is uh, obviously in, in, in a time where humor is now in danger because of the uh the the prudish nature of our society now where every joke every comment is analyzed and and the level of sensitivity has gone way up for some reason um in this special which was fairly mainstream but again which people were outraged by uh, i think also a, a saturday night live cast member nora dunn i remember her because her last name her first name was my last name nora uh, Nora Dunn, and I think the one time I took the uh, the NBC tour, they were paging her. Nora Dunn, Nora Dunn, please come to the office or something like that. <laughs> Whatever happened to her? Yeah, after her grand gesture to protest the the comedy stylings of Andrew Dice Clay, uh, she I think she was permanent. I think they if I think they fired her after that because you're you're not allowed to like miss a show or something like that. Um, but I remember one of the comedy routines, which would be very offensive by today's standards. Andrew Dice Clay is like, you ever go driving around, you see these Chinese people driving the car with these little eyes, and they don't know how to drive. I'm trying to, I'm trying to drive down the road, and these people are blocking me. Didn't we drop a bomb on these people a few years ago? Oh! <laughs> Cats are looking at me like I'm crazy. That's my, that's my Dice impression, kitties. So that obviously, that stood out to me from that video. So everyone, we knew this was like, you know, like, and, and then it just went on from there. His 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 comedy was very much, um, you know, it was really, you know, it was it was really transgressive. It was pushing the boundaries. It was, you know, there, 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 if there are about acceptable boundaries, he was going past them. Um, so that's a good example of transgressive comedy, especially the kind... I think that I'm sure there have been uh, reviews of, you know, where the boundaries are. So imagine this kind of rough kind of blob outline of the, all the topics on, uh, in human society. The blob keeps changing over time. What is acceptable? What's not? You know, like the whole thing, like too soon, you know, that, that's like sort of a comedy punchline. You make a joke about something too soon, you know, like, uh, one example of trans a transgress attempt at trans transgressive humor was um very very near the start of when we started our radio show we we started at the anything but monday radio show at the college drew university in madison new jersey in uh february of 1986 and just the month prior 
was the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster, where the Space Shuttle, with its crew of uh, seven, took off and then quickly exploded because of some sort of faulty uh, faulty ring or something, an O-ring, I don't know. But anyway, so we decided to do Space Shuttle Challenger jokes, like, like, like a month later, Space Shuttle Challenger jokes. And some of them were, were our own creation, and some were um, something we had heard, uh, you know, we're like, I'm like, hey, Mike, you know, there's a new, uh, what is the official breakfast cereal of, of the space shuttle? Kaboom! <laughs> that was a cereal at the, breakfast cereal at the time. And did you hear that, uh, that, uh, was it Bruce Springsteen dedicated two songs, uh, two of his songs to the space shuttle crew? Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm on fire and I'm going down. <laughs> and, uh, of course, this one wasn't ours, but, uh, you know, what, what does NASA stand for? Oh, need another seven astronauts. So that that is an example of transgressive humor. Um, and there were books there. That, 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 there were this series of, of little trade up uh, mass market paperbacks called uh, Truly Tasteless Jokes, right? And this was in a tradition of uh, joke books, right? And, you know, so what are we really talking about when we talk about this transgression? And why does this edge keep changing, Oh, wait, there was one thing. Oh, yeah, this uh, there was another example. Before I forget, I just want to give this example. Um, I, we knew we met people who were publishing their own offensive humor magazine somewhere out in Long Island. And I totally I forget. I think I have a copy of it somewhere, but I forget who how I knew these people. But <clears throat> their their comedy magazine had a, com- a, a concept called free meat. And so they did like this Dr. Seuss thing, free meat, am I, I am free meat or something like that. So free meat was basically, uh, you know, if a girl drinks too much and passes out at a party, she's free meat. You can have sex with her while she's unconscious. Gee, that's not too good. And I think they got in trouble for that, you know. Again, this stuff is all very, I mean, to today's sensitivities, it's way beyond the boundaries, right? So the boundaries keep changing. I don't think at any time anyone in in, in a public forum or on television or right on the radio there at any given time there are those boundaries those edges and then you can go past them to a degree but then there's a point where you kind of won't go past a certain point right pushing the boundaries but not completely going off the edge uh so it really begs the question what is going on here right and, you know, if I had to take a guess, this uh, shifting or perhaps even cycling boundaries are, you know, represent a form of an, a- an aspect of societal control from on high. You know, uh, because what is the content of these, of transgressive humor, right? It is almost always related to people, Right. It's related to people and what people do and who people are and what their aspects are, right? And when you think about dirty humor, it's about uh, sex, right? It's, it's, it's about, uh, you know, the acts of procreation, sex acts, deviant sex acts. Uh, it's about uh, the human body, you know, and how what we need to do. We need to piss and shit and have sex. And these are all things that... Um, traditionally we've been we felt uncomfortable about right it feels almost like 
the idea that one mind or soul is connected to one body, even that right there seems a cruel, right? That we have to keep one body for a whole lifetime. Um, the idea that we have to do these bodily functions that seem embarrassing, that seem, uh, you know, even though everyone does it, you know, oh, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to see it. This all seems quite weird, right? That we, you know, all of us got here through an act of sex other than test tube babies. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? That um, what what is it about the human body and the human anatomy and sex acts that are so that we don't want to think about or talk about where are these lines drawn and then other um, aspects of, of, of trans transgressive humor all relate to the state of a person how people are different basically that's what it's all about how people are different people are young and they're old they're male and they're female or of course now there's all sorts of shades in between um, uh, people are have sexual orientations. They're they're attracted to people of the opposite sex, or they're attracted to people of the same sex, or they're attracted to everyone, or whatever. Um, and then there's the characteristics of the body. Your skin is white. Your skin is dark. Your skin, you know, you're you're tall. You're short. The whole idea is that you know, and members of different races speaking different languages. Language itself people speaking languages and how much humor has there been um, about how people talk funny because they, they're from another country. Oh, hello, hello. You know, things like that. Making fun of people about the way they talk. It all has to do with distinctive characteristics of human beings, right? It really, from the most general to, to distinctive cultural differences, right? Things people do, things people eat. Did you ever see these people? What are they eating? Oh my God, you go to one of these restaurants, you know, um, so what what what's going on here? What is going on here in terms of um, why is it offensive? What is it even? Why is it entertaining? You know, on the one hand, why is it offensive? Why do people not want you to talk about it? On the other hand, why does it entertain to hear people talking about these things? So so but just so what is it? It's basically we have bodies bodily functions and then each of us is is has a certain body related uh state our age our our sex our gender who we're attracted to uh, the culture that we're in the shade of our skin the way our hair it looks right the way we talk things cultural things we do holidays we celebrate foods we eat right so look around you. We live in a world where people, where everyone is a person, but everyone's a human person, but they all have slightly different, depending on how you want to look at it, diff different, um, a different state. And uh, wh why, why would that be offensive just to say, well, these people tend to, people living in this country tend to eat this for breakfast. The people in that country tend to eat that for breakfast. It sounds very dry and and uh, and erudite you know and, and, and intellectual just sort of a categorization of things that happen where does it where does it become um <clears throat> you know where does it be, where does it get to and, and we'll get to gilbert godfrey don't worry i know that's he's the main topic but transgressive humor is such an interesting topic um 
when does it get uh, to the point that it's bad? So I guess the idea is that if you're using it all, it's all about, I think in the humor, it's all about an us versus them mentality. Hey, we're part of this group. Hey, hey, look at those people. They're part of that group. Hey, look at that. What are they doing? Oh my God, these people. What? Are, oh my God. I think we've we've revealed something, which is tri- tribalism, right? And if I might just kind of leap in here, what you've given us right there is an ideal example. I mean, what you said, the characterization you described, let's examine it again if anybody would like to scooch back and listen. There was no expression of hate. Uh, Again, uh, there's a certain dismissiveness and competitiveness, but that's just you know a part of being human and interacting with other either large groups or people or cliques of people uh but and but but there are people who are out it seems like they are they have their radar wide open for anything that might be an expression of quote-unquote hate and their radar is blipping away like crazy for lack that there's nothing else on the radar and i think that's what's happening now to a certain degree i mean there are real haters out there but there was so few and because once you're like geared i guess because it's justifiable some of these real haters could uh mean physical harm to others and uh harm has come to others through haters i think it's an exaggerated fear maybe i don't know Uh, anyhow there are a couple other notes that i have here as long as i have interrupted uh our good friend frank um that nora dunn i i I couldn't resist doing a little uh research yeah apparently about the uh, greatest thing that she has done uh was a series of commercials for Clorox starting in 2014 a chair career really it would appear bit roles and little parts in sitcoms and that was the end of that for not working with um Mr. Andrew Dice Clay I hope Frank's going to talk more about Dice um and Gilbert's uh, imitation character of Andrew Dice Clay, Gilbert Dice Gottfried, which was one of the funny at the time. It may still be. I laughed so hard when I first heard that bit on the radio on the Howard Stern show. That was just that bit alone may have been what made me truly love Gilbert Gottfried. And, uh, uh, just an interesting side note of my own observation. Yes, even in the day, I kind of found 
the stand-up of Andrew Dice Clay over, I mean, it was that uncomfortable laughter, and sure, I would laugh. You know, you're a guy, it was in my zeitgeist, or whatever you want to call it. And But his movie, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, without an audience urging him on, which adds a whole other dynamic to what he's doing there, just that character as a character in a comedy film is very funny uh it, i don't know you may have to check well if you've never heard of andrew dice clay which now after so many years i bet you a lot of the people in, on this earth right now have no idea who this guy was and uh it, that's a benefit in this and they don't know don rickles was either um, effectively, or Lenny Bruce, or Oscar Levant, or Henry Morgan, the early transgressive comedian that uh, I recently highlighted on my uh, sporadic uh, other show, the Quick Reversal Satellite. Uh, uh, and th- th- there is something very, very liberating and stress reducing about laughing at things that one shouldn't laugh at and you can quote me on that because that's that's a quote of me and uh, i just have a question for uh you guys to ponder uh, look at the uh because people say you know when you do a character that uh degrades a certain type of person that's uh, bad and hateful or racist or whatever. Uh, Was Andy Kaufman a hater of Eastern Europeans? And I'll hand you back to Frank. So the idea that, and I do think this all comes down to deep traits of, of the human being, which manifest in human society, right? Uh, factionalism or tribalism, right? Think about it, is would be a survivability trait. That is, if you had people who were all very independently minded, right, and they then came up against a group of independently minded people that really could never agree on anything, and didn't feel they were part of a group, came up against another group of people who were very group minded working as a group, the two in competition, the group-minded people, I think, would just get more organized and destroy the independent-minded people, right? So as as a survivability trait, and then also, I would say, as a way to create advancements, that is, uh, you know, you see the idea of nomadic hunter-gatherers that just, they don't have farms, they don't have permanent homes, they're just nomadic. They just wander from place to place. They hunt animals for food and, and you know, make clothes out of the animal skins. And then they, um, they, they, they just gather berries and they pick plants to eat and they have temporary housing, right? You know, that's one thing. But then you see sort of what we call civilization where you have permanent structures that people can live in, uh, organized farming, uh, raising of livestock, right? And then infrastructure like, roads, uh, you know, using beasts of burden, animals, horses and oxen as to, to draw, you know, carts and then go from, you know, this sort of civilization 
again, functions better with a groupthink mentality, a tribalistic mentality, right? Like, we're a part of group A. Yeah, we love group A. Yeah, look at those people. They're part of group B. Boo, we hate them. Yeah. So it, this feels like a very deep-seated, built-in aspect of the human mind to identify as part of a group, to view the group you're in favorably, and then to view people that are outside your group with suspicion, anger, hatred, and uh, wanting to, uh, <coughs> um, you know, basically reject them and, and at most kill them, you know. So considering this, the, ex the expression of that, uh, that idea, so the expression that I am, in a, I am in group A and these other people are in group B, how do you express, you don't just say, well, we are in group A, they are in group B. You, you say, those people in group B, they suck. We're so much better than them, aren't we? Oh my God, look at those idiots. What are they doing with those sticks they carry? Oh my God, like it's this mockery, abuse, bullying, right? That is the manifestation of the difference between the groups. I'm talking about stuff that's been happening at all levels between all sorts of people for thousands of years, right? Really. Um, and we see it uh, with, uh, with children, how they mock and abuse and uh, bully anyone that's a little bit different, you know. And it is a, a very ugly aspect of, of the human being, right? This tendency to form groups and to attack, basically, those that are not part of the group. And, uh, right, I think children express it most openly because they're not yet familiar with the boundaries of society and they... Uh, express their, that group think, which is a very ugly aspect of humanity. They express that uh, through bullying and exclusion uh, of the kids that they're in school with. They're people that they, you know, they should be nice to each other, but they're not. And this is just an aspect of humanity, right? <laughs> I would also say that, um, so that I think defines in a way, what's going on here? Because we all have it, and the contextualization of any transgressive humor uh, puts is is essentially attacking another group, which you love. You react with glee and amusement, but are you sort of embodying? the sort of, the toady of, of the big bully. Yeah, look at these people. Who are these people? Didn't we drop a bomb on these people a few years ago? Oh, and everyone laughs, but it's sort of like, wow, he's really expressing that these are people from another country that look a little bit different, you know, uh, and he must have observed some members of that group driving cars badly and, you know, yeah, we're we're not Chinese. Yeah, they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dice attack them, attack them. Yeah, they suck. Yeah, like that. Like what? Whoa, what is going on there? You know, and I think that um, it is a built-in pleasure center, uh, which is uh, when you really step back and look at it, is kind of horrific, right? That we derive pleasure from a number of different things, from um, 
you know, the, the physical comforts and eating food, being in a lovely environment, these are all some of positive things and kind of positive things. You know, you, you sort of derive pleasure from uh, interactions, friend, friendship, uh, inter, uh, ex shared experiences, love and, and, and sexual matters, ex experiencing pleasure. But this one thing, this, this thing where we, it's, it's a really deep-seated thing. It's not necessarily something that anyone can like choose to have or not have. But the pleasure center of uh, bullying people that are in different groups is there. And that is where transgressive humor, that's, where, that's what it's all about, right? It's something that stimulates a, a pleasure center in all human minds but at the same time, I do think that we, as thinking, feeling, philosophical beings, <clears throat> feel that that's wrong, right? It's not right, but it feels good, but it's not right. <laughs> so this is, I think, where the boundaries start to form. You know, it's, it's like it's, it's such a powerful force of pleasure that even little, little bits of it, little hints of it are pleasurable. Um, but when you go too far, it's getting towards the edge where you realize you're you're participating in something that's wrong. And I think that's what the edges keep changing. But I think that there's another more, perhaps more sinister explanation for the shifting uh, edges of things, which is that <clears throat> uh, there's the idea of uh, mass human control. Uh, the control of the huge majority of a population by by a few, which I think is um, <clears throat> a major topic, but I think that some of the built-in characteristics of the human being, such as this tribalism and other aspects, make humans suitable for mass control, right? And that may be by design, right? Now, without getting too far on the topic of human origins, right? There's a number of different theories as to where humans came about, but I think they all kind of show that this, the design for mass control is built in. Pure, sci purely materialistic scientific evolution, right? I think you'll find, as I mentioned, as I alluded to earlier, that as a pure survivability trait, the idea that a group of people can be marshaled to one cause by a charismatic leader would generally make that group more um, likely to survive in 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 multitude of scenarios, especially in competition, both in competition with other groups of people and just against the cruelties of nature, right? Um, so that then, at just as a survivability trait, people being able to be guided uh, under under a, a charismatic leader that sort of uh, aspect means that in a sophisticated way all of human society can be controlled that way you, you uh, taking advantage of that of course you have wholesale creation of humans and some people believe by a god or as i tend to believe in my in my thought experiments the uh, creation through technology um for a given purpose to build in this controllability and just look at things like mind control, hypnosis, things like that, where, um, you know, beyond just telling people something, oh, you're a part of a group, do this. 
there's ways of subver subverting a person's uh, analytical skills and making them believe something instantly. Um, <clears throat> then there's the hybrid theories, which, you know, there, there were ape-like pre-humans on Earth, and then al space aliens came down and genetically altered them, again, with the goal of... Um, <clears throat> Make of you know seemingly to make them, uh, you know, be able to reproduce, spread across land masses, and be controlled. Right. That is, there's in some way, there are a few that are guiding all of human society in a certain direction, and the main way of doing this is divide and conquer. <clears throat> that is, um right split like make people feel a split between them and and the other and in in that in the pain of that and in the confusion of that um be able to inject controls so the very first split is between you and your body you know you have genitals oh no genitals oh you can't show them in public you 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 know it's it's dirty you know, it's it's just like, you know, what? Everyone has a human body, but there's parts of, oh, it's un, the unmentionable parts, you know? So instantly you're, you feel like bad that you have, a, what? You feel bad that you have a human body? And then it becomes transgressive even to talk about it. You know, dick jokes. Oh, hey, yeah, let's tell some dick jokes. You know, it's <clears throat> that right there is it's, it's a split, which is a painful and it and it's sort of like how do you deal with that that you don't know how you got here but you're already you're already at a disadvantage because you're in a body that supposedly is bad everyone's body is bad cuz 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 you cuz you have to like take a shit oh my god that's so dirty and you can't even it's unmentionable why though it's like what um but especially you might think that Oh wow, people love to be bullies and trash other people and it gives them glee to hear a big bully bullying other people like a comedian. Um <clears throat> the idea is that in in that state of mind, that state of giddiness, that's that state of elation, they are people are more suggestible. So that whipping someone into a frenzy using this type of rhetoric, either in the form of humor or just uh, other forms of oration that where people think about their group and then the other group that's completely oh my god these people right that in 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 that uh state of mind right the people are most malleable moldable their minds are most uh, controllable and so um you have uh so my theory is that to put someone in that that state of of elation through uh, the bullying of another group, through humor, what have you, right? This is something where um, right. This is where we have societal norms, right? Is it okay to talk about like like the dumb blonde joke, you know? Like, is that okay or is that not okay? You know, like, so the idea is that any form of discourse, um, you know, uh, like the 
just almost unimaginable and unimaginable um, parodying of black people in this country with even watching old cartoons from the 1930s. It's it is so unbelievable that people thought that was okay, even in like Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff. Um, and those cartoons and even a lot of the Disney feature films contained, you know, uh, racial caricatures you know, of, of Asian people, black people, etc. But were obviously considered okay at the time. The idea is that any shape of that edge, right, of what's acceptable or what's not, no matter what, if that stayed the same, the power of that... Uh, transgression would reduce over time because people would just get used to it. Oh, here's another Disney cartoon where they're making fun of Asian people through through Siamese cats. Okay, we get it, right? If it stayed the same, its effectiveness to induce that giddy state would be reduced, would, would lessen, right? So, so that's why, right, the, the boundaries of this type of humor are moved, right? Uh, so that it doesn't get stale, right? So now it starts off where let's expand the boundaries and make fun of people that are from different countries because they talk English funny, right? And the ethnic humor, I just, I remember they would, every store was selling Italian joke books, Polish joke books, you know, every kind of joke book, like they, even up to the seventies, even up to the eighties, they were doing that, right? So the idea is you have periods where the boundaries are expanded, right? It, you have, Let me just put it this way. In terms of this type of situation, you have to either be expanding or retracting the boundaries, right? So to expand the boundaries, and in theory, if, oh, there's these people in control, Illuminati or whatever, they will have their media outlets that they control uh, present humor, uh, through either through magazines, books, TV, movies, where that's pushing the boundaries of offensiveness or of transgression, right? Till it gets to a certain point, and maybe it got to a head in the '80s or the '90s, uh, and then simply start pulling it back. Now, how do you expand it? Simply produce through, you know, essentially through the um, media that is controlled and owned by the powerful have your performers go further. And then when you need to go the other way, what you're doing is you're uh, creating groups to protest that humor that you created in the first place, right? And then you, the same people are creating a group. Oh my God, Andrew Dice Clay, he's so terrible. He shouldn't be saying those things. And then you start retracting the humor back again, right? So at every point, right, it it just sort of keeps keeps that boundary fresh and keeps and open the wound open, right? The cycling of that boundary of, of humor. And that's really where, you know, the, and I think we sort of lived through a period of expansion when I was doing my magazine. I don't know why, why would I feel like I wanted to do offensive humor? It just seemed like the thing to do, you know? As I think, you know, mainly through, uh, how, it was basically Howard Stern was absolutely my main influence. You know, and Howard Stern is a funny, and and I got to know of Gilbert Gottfried through Howard's the Howard Stern radio show. So, one thing Howard said on one of on one of his uh, 
you know, the history of Howard Stern or one of his interviews was a very innocent type of transgression, but something that he talked about. So he basically talked about being honest in radio. You know, we need people need to be more honest. And his idea sort of goes beyond being offensive, but he's talked about being honest in terms of the narrative. So he said he he would listen he was listening to one of the news radio stations, maybe seven seventy. Um <clears throat> And and the news re- it's a very formal situation. The newsreader's reading the news, and and then he heard in the background a door open, and the newsreader stopped momentarily, and he's like, "Well, what happened in that moment? Why couldn't the people just be honest? Oh, look who just walked through the door, you know." He, but they couldn't do it, so he just like he he said, "Why not do radio where you're just saying what you're thinking and you're being honest." And uh, and again, that's interesting because you had a a type of radio performance that was so formalized, and you you know you you had to stay within certain boundaries. That's another form of transgression. Is is to sort of <clears throat> be more relaxed and be more honest in your like instead of just being a performer on radio that you're 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 reading the news or performing characters that you were actually just yourself and saying what comes to mind um but in that what is on your mind is the difference between people right <laughs> this thing that's built in and it seems like like it's the tendency toward being preoccupied with certain topics is you could say first you just look around you and you see what people are talking about there could be another you know when when you when you talk about the um the idea of uh that everything is connected and that are that we share some sort of a a, a cognitive system with other people <clears throat> that uh, the morphic fields and things you know like that Sheldrake research like this guy named Rupert Rupert Sheldrake no whatever his name is um that some ideas may just be out in the ether and you're just picking them up. So Howard Stern saying that he's he wants to be honest, right? What's on his mind is sex and how people of different races are different and 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 bathroom topics and stuff like that, right? So he's sort of pushing or expanding the boundaries. It with with the the very I think admirable goal of being honest, but uh pushing the boundaries of us versus them and this bullying type of thing um, to produce elation and interest in people. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, as I said, I got I got to know of Gilbert Gottfried through his show. In fact, it was funny because I believe it was on, I don't know if he was already doing, it may have been, it may have been the Channel 9 show uh, he started doing a TV show because in 89, I believe, I did meet Gilbert in a private setting and he had just been on Howard Stern recently uh, doing an Andrew Dice Clay impression. It was uh, Gil- Gilbert Dice Clay or something like that. And he, he wore the leather jacket. He's like, oh! So he was sort of making making fun of him. And that, that was a big thing, making fun of Andrew Dice Clay because one of the other transgressive radio shows, Opie and Anthony, that I was into also... They had him on as a guest. They had Andrew Dice Clay on as a guest, and then they just 
relentlessly made fun of him because of his mannerisms and stuff. Oh, it was relentless, Gilbert Dice Gottfried. And, and all of the imitations. And, and oh, by the way, I do want to mention, if you want to go down the Gilbert rabbit hole, some of his great uh, last appearances doing comedy uh, that you can see and or hear. Uh, Compound Media, which uh, is also uh, Anthony Cumia from Opie and Anthony. Uh, Gilbert did a number of appearances with Compound Media and uh, Anthony in the last few years of his life, and they are all just... There's one uh, with Artie Lang and Gilbert Gottfried that is so funny, at least to me. I mean, we all have our, you know, type of funny that we like. And uh, poor Dice Clay, I mean, he made a career out of making fun. Uh, maybe Frank's a little young, but even Frank should... That wasn't something somebody made up one afternoon. There were a zillion guys who were pretty much that Andrew Dice Clay just took that persona type and exaggerated it a few steps. Uh, but we all knew. I mean, I knew I was a young guy. Well, I guess I wasn't that young when Andrew Dice Clay was famous. But even when I was a young guy, there were these guys with the leather jacket and the hair and the. Uh, yeah, Andrew exaggerated it. Um, and it got weird. Uh, there's also footage of poor Mr. Clay. His critics finally either got to him or he decided that the only way to possibly stop the endless uh, bad vibes being sent out against him at a certain point, I have this distinct memory of him breaking down and weeping, which... Uh, it's understandable. I mean, it, it, he technically was bullied for acting like a bully, maybe. That gets real tricky and complicated, uh, for sure. But bullying, I, I did want to mention, bullying is... We have not yet figured out a way to change that in the formative years because what bullying does more so than anything else it it's a horrible thing to go through but i think humans have to go through this in their social circle it sets a certain pecking order that for good or bad does establish where people are socially possibly even for the rest of their lives, or at least in whatever circle that this bullying takes place. But this is how it works. And until we figure out another method of the sorting, uh, I don't know what we do, because the sorting, that this is like learning boundaries, itself I, I frank used the simile of uh, the boundaries and yes this you are it uh, when i was and i was uh, by any standards bullied as a kid i was being put 
in a certain place outside of the gang. And different people were bullied to different degrees. And I don't know. It, it set a position where, for better or for worse, this is where you're operating. And uh, I'm not saying it's good, but a lot of things that we have to learn in our formative years in order to function and operate in society are no fun. Not even a little bit, so there's that also. Other transgressive radio host that Stern uh, has spoken of being influenced by, and I'm pretty sure he was, uh, well, actually, TV, Alan Burke and Joe Pine, a little right, I mean, my older cousins uh, talked about him, but I don't think I was allowed to see him because he was just so rude. Uh, Alan Burke, uh, he was kind of a proto-pompouser. Bob Grant, sort of an arrogant, oh, shut up and listen to me. Oh, yeah, he would tell people to shut up, which back then, you know, you don't tell people to sh That's rude. Talk about transgressive. And, of course, Bob Grant and, and all of these people. Joe Pine was uh, more of a West Coast phenomenon from what I only saw clips of him later on. But definitely, he was another one who would just start yelling at people, which was not the norm in the late 60s, early 70s, when this was starting to take place in uh, mass media for the first time. And even Shep speaking his mind on certain things uh, forged certain things. And he did talk about people like Lenny Bruce, who, that poor guy... Uh, it, it, the whole Lenny Bruce story, people, I guess there was the movie with Dustin Hoffman in my late teens and early 20s, uh, I guess because of the controversies with George Carlin and that album AMFM and the seven words that you can't say on television, all of this was very pertinent to me, but uh, I don't think many people are really... Uh, aware anymore of any of that that was just the transgression of the times and we moved on to wherever i don't even know where we are now and uh, this is not a place where i'm gonna go into the present standards because i really don't know it seems to have hit some sort of the pc thing has bottomed out and maybe we're heading back out with some transgression but it also looks like all of these transgressive comedians in the last few years all of the great and known ones uh, have died or have somewhat backed down people like Howard Stern I mean we have Anthony Cumia uh, who you know I watch I'm not a I'm not subscribed to compound media I get to see some of his shows on BitChute. there's one channel that will post some of his stuff and whatever clips he puts on YouTube. And he, for that sort of humor, he's pretty great. Uh, not one of my all-time favorites, but at this point in time, he might be the torchbearer, maybe. So it was in the offices at MTV to go. This magazine Mike and I were working for in 89. This guy, Mark Robert, who had been an editor at 
National Lampoon was friends with Gilbert Gottfried. And so Gilbert just came to visit and I was in the office too. And I, I'm like, oh, I saw you recently on Howard with the, the, the Dice Clay thing. He's like, oh, okay. You know, and I tried to give him one of my experimental publications, which was this, it was like tied up with, with like a string. And he's like, okay, let me put it down here. And he, he like jammed it into the couch to hide it. Um, I don't really remember much more of, of the, of, of the meeting there. He didn't talk with that. He's one of these comedians that talk with a different voice when he's on stage. He was sort of more normal there and on stage is more talks like this, you know. <clears throat> Which I think was him sort of making fun of the way other people talk, but he talks that way. I don't know. It's a whole thing. Um, then MTV, there was an MTV event that we were invited to because we were writing for the magazine. And then he was there and met Mad Mike, my partner in Anything But Monday. He seems to think that I was like abusing, like I was saying horrible things to Gilbert. I don't really remember it. I, I just remember him sort of standing in the corner by himself and we went over to talk to him. And I don't know what we were saying. I I I, I mean, something like, "Oh, we're funnier than you now," because we because we, we're writing for this magazine. Something horrible like that. I forget exactly what I what I was saying to him. And there may have been like a, one or two other encounters with him. I'm not sure, but um, but yeah, Gilbert Gottfried over the years has uh, kind of he had now that he's passed away uh, last week. He he was a very transgressive humorist. Um, in one very famous incident, he just sort of, you know, again, with the too soon thing, that was much too soon. In one of the many uh, world disasters that people are so focused on that we can barely, re you know, at the time, it's the most important thing in the world. A couple years later, you can barely remember it. It was a uh, a tsunami in Japan. It was a, a, a tidal wave, you know, it's a flood that killed so many people. And, and his joke, I think he just put it on Twitter. And he was working for for some what's Aflac? Is that a some sort of insurance company or something? With they had a duck, the Aflac duck, that used Gilbert's voice, Aflac. And uh, his joke was like, you know, I'm really upset because my Japanese girlfriend, uh, you know, broke up with me. And you know, my friends tried to console me. They're like, you know, hey, you know, one 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 will float by, another one will float by soon, or something like that. Horrible, a horrible job. I mean, it was right after the tsunami happened. Another one will float by soon. Right? So so Aflac fired him immediately, you know. So he couldn't be the duck anymore. As as if they didn't have enough recordings of him saying Aflac, you know. But he was fired, and they had to hire someone else to, to be the Aflac duck. But I know that I know there's been a few incidents like that, because he was associated with Disney. Disney, the ones who were doing so much of this... Uh, you know, like, you know, racial and ethnic stuff in their cartoons. Oh, no, Gilbert did this. He he was Zazu the Parrot in, in Aladdin. So these people, this this Disney that's been doing the same thing for how long? Oh, my God, look what he said. We can't employ him anymore. <coughs> um, yeah, and then, of course, you know, I recently saw that, uh, the... Um, the roast, the uh, the Bob Saget roast, and uh, he was saying horrible things. I mean, I, let me see if I can actually find it because this is this is sort of yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can. All right, I can't believe this is actually still here on YouTube. But here's 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 Gilbert doing doing the roast. I, I don't know what year this was. He's roasting Bob Saget, another comedian who died recently. Why should we pick Bob Saget? 
who raped and killed a girl in 1990. <laughs> well, first of all, it's not true. It's not true that Bob Saget raped and killed a girl in 1990. Wow, knee-slapping humor. The Olsen twins say, well, Bob Saget hands you a chocolate milk that he just made. And you wake up three hours later, lying on your stomach. Have any proof that Bob Sackett raped and killed a girl in 1990? Stop gossiping and go right to the police with it. Bob Sackett thought it was so funny. He was actually slapping his knee, knee-slapping humor. Um, that that is a bit transgressive, and I'm, I don't know what year this this was. Let me see if I can find the information. Um, oh yeah, and there's there's uh, another reference to the Aristocrats, which was a movie about the filthiest joke ever told. Um, not to be confused with the Aristocats, which had its own racial humor. The Disney animated movie about cats. Um, the Aristocrats is 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 a transgressive joke, where and some sort of entertainment center. They're like. I have an act for you. And they describe the most heinous, disgusting thing that the group of people do. And it, it, there's all different variations on the joke. But, of course, Gilbert was in the movie. And um, and then at the end, what do you call this act? The, aristoc- the aristocrats. Right? <clears throat> but it's meant to be transgressive humor. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I just want to see when this roast was. Yeah, I mean, that is... You know, that 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 was definitely pushing the boundaries, even from any perspective, right? All right, that was uh, two thousand eight. Was that roast two thousand eight? Um, <clears throat> is that funny? I don't know. It's funny because it's it's so inappropriate, right? It's sort of at a meta level. It's funny, but you know, it's uh, make you know the joke that he's uh, he's sexually abusing these these this these young twins. Is that a joke? I don't know. Especially considering the uh, in- incessant conspiracy theories of child abuse with the rich and powerful that have come after 2008 makes it all the more sinister. But I guess I guess it sort of begs the question at, a, at sort of looking at the big picture. Um, this type of transgressive humor, whatever its origins are, and how it cycles, it's cyclical, right? Retreating, and then so I'm, I'm assuming we're, we're, we have to be towards the bottom of the graph curve at this point, and then they're going to start expanding it again, uh, you know, to just so just so you could have years of fresh transgressive humor in the expansion, in the retraction. Uh, it's not so much funny, but it it serves the same purpose to divide and conquer. All of all of the kvetching and all of the complaining and all of the, the the you know wringing your hands about how bad this humor is, right? It 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 does the same sort of thing. In fact, I think that when you're saying, "Oh my God, these people are so offensive," and it it's setting up the same us versus them thing, and you sort of delight in that, you know, these people, these comedians. They can't say these things anymore. They're terrible people. Again, it's an us versus them thing, and it serves sort of the same purpose. But 
what can we say about it? It's is it, it one of my top questions ever is this societal control being exercised in theory by the, the powerful is it ultimately a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, the amount of entertainment I've gotten from Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony and all these different people, I don't want to think that I'm a vicious person and that I enjoy being sort of a toady to a bully, but I have gotten so much entertainment out of it. Um, I felt that elation, that giddiness. Um, is it wrong, you know, in, in this human sphere of activity where there is a lot of pain and anguish and ennui and boredom for something to engage you and to excite you, even if it if it is if it does feel like it's wrong at some level, right, to be involved in it. Um, it's a hard question, right? You know, do, do we is the goal to remove the distinctions between people, right? And how do you do that if it's if it is a built-in human trait, you know? It's like trying to make people stop being attracted to other people to have sex with them, you know, like how can you stop that or would you if you would you even want to stop that because then the human race would die out basically. <clears throat> it's just a built-in thing, but that you know, the being on the receiving end of the abuse and bullying is is horrible. And you're hurting other people. It goes against everything we aspire to at our on our highest nature, right? To be kind to everyone. So shouldn't shouldn't we should we try to identify and reject any time we encounter such a thing, even though it could make us feel this elated feeling that we should reject it? That's possible as well. I feel like, you know. I'm very influenced by this type of humor and I feel like I, I do uh, perform something akin to humor on my show, The Overnightscape, and even here on The Central. Um, am I innocent of this? You know, I, I try not to, like, I don't want to, I, at the, at the, when the, in the 80s, I wanted to be offensive, but I now I don't. I feel like there's a kind of a, uh, you know, just these life observations and connections between things that aren't necessarily about an us versus them type of thing, that there's really plenty of room to be engaging and interesting uh, without doing without doing that. So that, I think, could be, in a way, demonstrating. <laughs> and listen, I don't know. I really haven't done a deep analysis of myself in terms of how, how much... This is a very self-serving statement, but demonstrating a type of radio humor slash monologue where you don't have to trash other people could be a strong counterbalance to this this actually happening. Or you could say maybe people would tend not to do that, but if not for that subtle push by those in control to move things in more of ethnic, racial, sexual directions. I don't know. I mean, I would like to think that the show I do is is uh, is largely uh, devoid of that type of thing, um, but I know it's not. Even just you know, like 
even observational humor like a Jerry Seinfeld. You ever go to the supermarket and who are these people in front of you? How can it take 45 minutes to buy a, 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 a carton of milk? You know, like, you know, like, who are these people? Just buy the damn milk. No, you have to look up a code. Oh, where's my coupon? Oh, go check the price. Oh. Even something as seemingly as innocent as that, you're sort of dividing the world into two groups. Us, who are the cool shoppers, and we buy things very quickly. And who are these assholes? Why does it take them forever to buy something? <laughs> to, like, you know, like the stupid idiot people, <laughs> you know? So again, we're defining two groups of people and trashing them, right? Why can't they? Why can't they just be quick like we are and buy things? You know, is that the basis of? All? I don't know if it's the basis of. I don't know what's going on. Listen, I don't think any of us are innocent in this, but I mean, at least to say it out loud that it's you know that we all feel pleasure through inflicting pain on others is is sick. But it's kind of true. But the exploitation of that by those in power, is it for a higher purpose or is it just completely evil? Uh, I don't know. Oh, and just one final observation, which sort of goes back to the beginning. I feel that, uh, again, taking a very broad view of humanity and how humanity is programmed, the idea that setting up structures and boundaries, especially in a group, right, um, is very, very important in order to establish civilization, right? The idea of you choose a profession and work in that profession, get married, monogamy, uh, produce children, raise the children, right? All of these restrictions, uh, they go way beyond that, right? It's good to set up boundaries, but at the same time, as external factors and as situations change, right, being too stuck in a, 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 a boundary, right, would reduce your survivability because you're not flexible enough. So it would make sense that a certain percentage of the population would have an urge to transgress, to push the boundaries as a basic urge. So as, yes, building up <clears throat> structures of living, but not being stuck in them. So maybe 10% of individuals would have this strong urge to push the boundaries, right? And that is a survivability trait. That's something where you have a society that can have a shape, but then as times change, the those who, to, to, to use a rather overused word today, disruptors, you know, Bit like in, they had that in business, disruptors. We're disrupting this category of business. Um, the idea that they can uh, just innate, gen genetic or built in through morphic fields or whatever, that a person is more likely to, <coughs> to push boundaries and not accept the way things are is, I think, also very important for general survivability. And then, so then <clears throat> these transgressive comedians sort of represent that, that persona archetype right of the tran of the societal transgressor to kind of not make sure things don't get stale anyway i feel like i feel like i've just really sort of scratched the surface of this very complex issue now back to you pq
Well, there's a lot to it. The closer you look, the more you see and uh, unsee at the same time, sort of. And, and, and Frank, you are very gentle. Uh, if someone is offended by you as far as, like, you're being mean, uh, I... If you're mean, somebody really needs, like, the safe space of their dreams or something, I mean. Uh, I mean, I've never been comfortable, you know, like, being, like, the Mad Mike in any... Maybe when I was younger, a little, but uh, I'm not good at being the mean guy. Uh, I, it's, it's just... I mean, I'm not gonna be, like, the complete rollover submissive guy... I mean, perhaps if it's, like, already scripted and I am playing a true character, yeah. And I would rather do that than be thought of as some sort of mean guy. I mean, oh, and one, uh, I only saw this uh, on YouTube. Anthony Kumi and Compound Media did a little tribute to Gilbert, and in the middle they showed it. And I'm, I, I still haven't gone to TikTok, but apparently... And this is a neat note on Gilbert Gottfried, his comedy, and just the person in a certain way. About to year, the only mention he ever made to anybody, as far as anybody can tell, except for, of course, I would imagine his wife and his family, that he had this cancer for a couple of years, uh, was a TikTok he did and it's just surreal and makes you laugh and want to cry here's Gilbert Gottfried and he's using one of these little screen and it's like the confetti falling and it's party time and he's like making the big smiling face and it's celebrating and it's, he's saying he has cancer yeah but that was Gilbert, and he could dish it out, and he could take it, which is what's key if you're going to be that kind of person and do that kind of comedy. Uh, and one thing you have to keep in mind, Frank, and how I never... You know, when Stern would get really mean or really push people over the line, this is something that... I had to remind myself and for better or for worse there are people who feel they aren't getting sufficient attention and uh, they will go to great lengths to get attention the other proviso that you have to keep in mind in situations like this is negative attention is still attention it is that human trait that I think kept stern and all of the shock jocks and transgressive hosts uh, to this day in uh, you know all of the talk shows on TV the ones that aren't actors I mean are they all actors maybe although I think some of them that I mean yeah there's a lot of ringers but I think some of these people are like really those people I, I could be wrong uh, I've been show businessed before as have we 
all. Uh, it's much better to consider that everything, even the news anymore, is like professional wrestling or something. There's a lot of kayfabe involved. I mean, yes, they're hitting one another, but uh, <laughs> they're doing it in a theatrical manner. They're, yeah. <laughs> PQ Ribber here. And uh, yeah, it was just Frank and I, I believe. Let's take a very quick uh, gander here at. Uh, and you got a pen and a piece of paper because this means we're probably transitioning to me telling you what we're doing here next week and that kind of good stuff there. So the email address that you will be wanting to right to is um, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. I'm saying it one more time. kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And if you do have a follow-up on transgressive comedy or uh, Gilbert himself and you just didn't make it for some reason, uh but send it. We will use it on a quake reversal satellite. Uh, maybe we'll use it on next week's Overnightscape Central. But uh, participate. Be part of the amazing fun that is the Overnightscape Underground. And just like, uh, well, I'm going to give you that email address one more time because you need this written down somewhere so you can contact me. And don't forget, there is now a Discord ONSUG room. And uh, I think it's very findable. So, uh, so drop in and say hello. Uh, I'm there quite a bit. Frank's there quite a bit. Uh, Nate in Wisconsin is there quite a bit. And a lot of people uh, coming and going. And it's a, an outpost where uh, we can engage uh, and uh, cut some of the barriers of time and space, at least uh, at certain intervals. And we can also, you know, just message board converse, because it is both a conversation, chat room, and kind of a message board as well. Um, and uh, let's see how this... Oh, yeah, you need a topic, because now we're talking about next week's Overnightscape Central. And I think we're going to do another arts show. And, and, and that's your topic. Another arts show. Because uh, I, I, there's just so much. And yeah, we talk about movies and we talk about music and books and all sorts of things. And there's things that fit in between that. So if we just open it wide up to both the consumption and the creation of the arts, what it might be, what it might mean, uh, or as simple as I like this and I don't like that, uh, we're, we're here for you and that next week right here when we reconnoiter for another Overnightscape Central. And uh, yeah, this is a Tuesday one. We're trying to do them on Mondays, but at least we're not doing them on Wednesdays. And maybe we can push it back to Monday next week. In any case, uh, to be assured that you will be on the program, uh, your deadline for the next Overnightscape Central is April 25th, 2022 at about uh, 7 p.m. Mountain Time to be 
certain. Uh, do it now while you're uh, on the phone. Even if you're way in the future, do it. Uh, hit the topic. Send it to the email address kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Somebody will be there. I bet you. And you will wind up on an overnight scape central that I haven't even imagined yet, perhaps. Uh, I might not even be hope it, hosting it. I, I mean, I've been doing this for week, every week, for how many years now? It, it's uh, my, I'm coming up on uh, 12 years on the Onsug very quickly. Wow, this is, oh, time flies. In any case, thanks so much for listening. Um, and thank you, Frank, for being here. Or uh, I would have been talking about Gilbert all by my own lonesome. And, um, Till the next time, we're going to set the controls for the heart of the fun. Join us.